Hello everybody and welcome back. Before we get into the podcast in episode number two, I would just like to say a few words first before we do that. In this podcast that's coming up, there is a couple of topics in here that may not be for everybody. There is some details in embalming and how this is done and carried out. There is also some references towards suicide and towards child death. So if you are sensitive to these subjects and it may cause upset by listening to them, please skip this podcast and join us back for the next one. Hello and welcome to the John Chats podcast, episode number two. Uh, we are joined by a lady I've known for a few years who used to work next door to me at a funeral home. I will let her introduce herself. Hello, everybody. My name is Vicky, and uh, I'm here to speak with John and hopefully put a few things forward about the funeral industry and maybe answer some questions you may have. Thank you. So, yeah, I guess if we sort of like go back to sort of like a time when you were thinking of working there or you know got approached how did that sort of come about to work there well it goes back way further than you would imagine so I was five years old and I my first experience of death was my gran and I'd gotten the bus up to um, Stockport with my mum and usually my mum could let herself straight in with a key but when we got there, there was a chain on the door and my mum obviously thought this is something, there's going to be an issue. Well, my little five-year-old arm was only one wide enough. I could get it through the lock and undo the, the catch. And when we got in there, my gran was passed away in a chair with a cold cup of tea on the arm of a chair. And it was the first experience I saw there of something that remained with me from the age of five. So, so even from that young age, you had an impression of... That was my first, was. yeah, wow. my first experience of death. It wasn't a scary one because she looked really at peace, and I guess that just stayed with me thereafter. So, did you have like sort of an interest from that, even from that young age? Yeah, or? do you know? I, I've thought about where because it kind of leads on. At age seven, I had my new denim bike after Christmas, and I was riding around a block, block doing circuits, and I knocked an old lady over by the flats. Wow. And she fell to the floor and luckily my mum's house was not far away and I ran to my mum and she took a pillow and I stayed with her until an ambulance came. And thereafter my mum told me, you're going to look after that old lady now. And I was only seven and so I used to do her shopping, then a mate wow. shopping and wow. there, thereafter. So care was something that was with me always right. so from from even that age so then it led me into all types of nursing um so I did mental health and I guess that is where funeral um the idea of doing something like that really came in because I met a gentleman at Cheadle Royal um a mental health unit I won't give you his name family might be listening but he was a patient there and it was an elderly ward and he used to wear a suit every single day with a flat cap and he was known as dapper and at the end of his life I'd built up such a relationship with him that he actually felt like he was family and I asked if I could lay him out when he passed away which was my first experience of cleaning uh, somebody making them look nice and 
I guess all little girls really have that within them. Maybe little boys do too, to just look after something to... to, to motherly. Yeah, motherly. Yeah, yeah. And I have always been quite motherly. His family asked me, because I knew him a little bit better, what he should wear uh, in his coffin. And I knew exactly what, what to tell them. And, and that was another thing that stayed with me. How old would you have been then? then? 26. 26, okay. Yeah, so we're following through now yeah, from age yeah. of five. Yeah, yeah. So it was always probably my destiny, really, to, mm. to follow any kind of path. And what was the final thing that happened to me was my mum, unfortunately, she passed away at 55. And I was only 31 at the time. And when she went to the um, funeral director's home, when I went to view her one day, they shouted from the back, get the body ready. And honestly, it turned my blood instantly cold. But wow. this was my mum. It stayed with me that. Um, so that, well, when you said get, get the body ready, was, was the body... So the, you were going into view I was mom. going into view, mum. Okay, right. I didn't know at that point in time where she would be, where she was stored, where they would bring her from. And I asked um when I went to see her and they like I say they shouted through can you get the body ready and I was just so hurt by it that when you say ready what 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 do you sort of mean by ready do you mean like... well I believed at that point they meant they were going to pull her through to where I was going to see her okay yeah like an only a room or something yeah I yeah. mean in my head she was in a freezer okay and yeah. that they were going to do that because I didn't know yeah what it was at the time yeah anyway I went there every single day, and every single day there was something that really upset me, like mm. maybe the lights weren't turned on. Yeah. Uh, maybe they'd not made sure she looked nice. Just she doesn't They weren't really that bothered about it, basically. They was, weren't. No. This, this was your time to sort of say your last words to your mum, see her for the last few times, and maybe you felt like they didn't care enough to do these small little things exactly. that made such a big difference. And, to... and small things like... I could see them um, keep checking times. They, they left the door ajar, which I thought was mm. quite strange. And there I felt rushed. Yeah. And I did believe when I came home from that that I could do something far better and treat right. what, what I wanted for my mum, I wanted to be able to give to somebody else. The people, yeah. Then, sadly, uh, my father committed suicide after that. Wow. And Shortly after all. It was... It was nine months or so after mum died. Was it an effect of, do you think, your mum yeah, passing away? Yeah, I, and... I think my dad was quite a, a man-child, really. So we don't think he ever felt he could cope once mum had died. Yeah. And he um, got into lots of debt by, you know, um, things coming through the post on change your destiny if you just send such and such to start, oh, you know, no. the start. Scammers. Scammers. Yeah. And he, he ended Even up... back in them days as well. Yeah, I mean, would yeah. It, when you say back in them days, we're talking, what, 19 years ago now, yeah? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so he then, he, the house had been paid off when mum had died, and um, my dad had remortgaged for 40-something thousand, and all wow. of that had gone on scamming. He got himself into such a, a place where he didn't know how to pay bills, he was missing mum, there was just lots of issues and and he passed away and i used the same funeral directors which okay. is my point yeah and i hoped very much that mum was just one of those just things, a one-off just a one-off yeah. yeah but actually i heard the whole thing all over again with my dad no um so it was at that point i thought i will never use that funeral directors again if i ever do get into the funeral services i absolutely know what i should be doing yeah and um 
and the respect thing was just a massive thing and because I've always been in care fostered children I've done lots of different jobs in that way this was a natural progression for me to to actually go into something which I still perceive as nursing mm. because even you though know, they passed away they still the care for them and yeah. your nursing family is more more to yeah. the point yeah so it was like you, if you like people, if you like talking, mm. you need to be in a job where you can comfort people and, and that's yeah. where I ended up. Do you think after the experience of your mum and then following on with your dad, at that point maybe you thought, I need to do something yeah. to make a difference to the funeral service for other families who, you know, it's not a one-off with your mum, it then happened with your dad, so let's try and change everyone else's experiences into a better one by me making a difference in that service? Oh, most definitely. I mean, everybody who goes into some form of nursing ideas, hopefully it comes from a good place yeah. of wanting to care for somebody and make their experience the best it can be at a time which is the most painful. Mm. And I don't think there can be anything more painful than uh, death. No. Uh, no. Especially unexpected deaths, yeah. child deaths, yeah. even people that are in the 90s you know it's still a very hurtful thing yeah. people have been around in in, in families lives a, me a long long time and it's a gap that will never be filled and i i i think as a funeral director you cannot say the body they have to become aunties uncles grandpas mm. sisters brothers it sounds so yeah. cliche but to me that's where what what became for me because i ended up in a little office um solo um, working with families and I do believe that I did things a lot lot different than, than most others although I haven't asked other people what they do mm. so, it didn't matter in a way did it because you wanted to do the best that you think you could do yeah and what the families and the person that's unfortunately yeah. passed away deserved. also in my mum's honor honestly because I would say to myself would you be happy if that was your mum what if you know mm. that's how every single person that yeah. came in and i say person not body yeah, yeah yeah every single person that came in i honestly had at the forefront of my mind if this is my mom how would i be and that's how i treated it each and every single one whether it male female child baby mm. all got the same so for me when they would first arrive with me i would always go and introduce myself which people might think was absolutely weird and out there mm. but yeah i would always do their body yeah i would go and right, sit wow. in the in the chapel with them wow introduce myself tell them i'd be looking after them <laughs> um i would tell them about the weather i would buy newspapers wow. and read paper you know, pieces wow. to them um i would play music through and leave the door open so i could sit with them and just listen to life going on excuse my hoovering around them when I'm hoovering or polishing <laughs> but still bringing them into everyday life yeah yeah so that was the difference it wasn't a closed door the chapel where where yeah. my people were where where my family were yeah it yeah. was always an open door with me obviously until other family came in yeah so if we go back to when you first started to work in the industry how did it sort of come about is it through someone you knew or did you just see a job opportunity? And that I sent off my CV, I think it was to four different companies and the one I really wanted got back to me, which was unbelievable because I do know, and excuse this terminology now, but getting into the funeral um, industry is dead man's shoes. People right. don't leave it. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's not a massive turnover. 
Yeah. Once you're in there, you're in there for like 20, 30 years, yeah, whatever. People yeah, people don't yeah. go. Yeah. And the there was a lot of uh, prejudice many, many years ago that funeral industries was dominated by old males, you know, the grumpy type who <laughs> that that's what you see. Um, mm. And and what has happened in the last 10 or so years is females have been brought into it and it's become more of an equality, you know, an equality uh, has been going on. And you see a lot of female funeral directors too. And mm. I think what I had feedback from families was having a woman there. And I know it sounds so, so um, sexist, but I'm not trying to be. They felt immediately at, at peace that their loved one was yeah being looked after yeah but like you say going back to the motherly aspects as well yeah like men are a bit more sort of i'll just do that and that's done whereas a woman will take more time and care and yeah. like you say i mean i don't know how many people out there listening that have worked in the funeral directors or know someone that has that would sit with the person after they passed away read them you know stories talk to them talk about the weather the newspaper i mean that that to most people and i guess most men that would do it or have done it wouldn't do that i would imagine wouldn't do that. I don't know. Well, I mean, that's such a caring aspect of it, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's a personal thing. I think I just, like I say, always go back to my mum because it was always an honour of her. Would my mum like me to tell her what was going on, what was rubbish on the telly last night, mm. Coronation Street, who was doing what to who? <laughs> They're all things because we don't know, none of us here know if a spirit is there, it stays yeah. with the body. We yeah. don't know. Yeah. And if we're going to go down that road and speak about that, I can tell you that I've always been quite sceptical. Yeah, even working in the funeral directors. Yeah, that yeah. there is such a thing as spirit or, you know, mm. I just I probably came into it thinking once you've gone, you've gone. Yeah. Although I've always been an open book for something to prove me differently. And what yeah. I can tell you from my experiences, I knew, and I can't tell you why, how, that either a spirit was remaining there with the person or they'd gone. There was a certain look, unexplainable. On different people. Yeah. yeah. And I would go in and I'd go, oh, that person's gone. They, they've gone. Their know. spirit's just gone. And other times I knew they were there. And wow. it's a feeling that I just, it's indescribable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. there was an energy there. And for those... I would more, more more spend time talking about the weather. And one day I might come in in the morning and say, good morning, how are you today? Still looking lovely. And I'd know they'd gone at that point. And it, even though they'd been gone maybe two weeks by then. So say, for example, like you had a, 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 um, a passed away person in the chapel. One day could you look at them and know they were there? Yeah. And then the next day you know they're gone? Yeah. Wow. I know. Wow. And maybe other people within the industry will know exactly mm. what I mean. But the, there is, you see, we'll talk about embalming if you want. Just a little bit about the embalming processes, and I'll bring it back to why I'm, I'm, I'm linking it in. Yeah. So the embalming process, um, they have lots of different coloured bottles like probably people wouldn't understand. And some are peach, some are pink, some are blue. And it was to get to give the skin flush the colour to make them look like they would, you know, they were they were still here with us. Yeah. And the peachy colour um would make people look like they were really alive and you could really talk to them. And that would never change coming back to what I was saying um about 
um, knowing they'd gone or not because right. the peachy colour might still be there, but there was a certain hue. Mm. And we're not talking now um, decomposition, just a certain hue that would be around the body and energy that would change even though the colour would remain. So when I say to you, they've definitely gone or yeah. they hadn't, it wasn't because they've gone blue or white or, yeah, you know, yeah, pale. Yeah. It was it's just very There's more strange. to do with the feeling and yeah, an energy, energy around them that yeah. you can feel. Yeah. 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 So when you when you started working there, what what sort of I mean, talk me through your sort of first day or something. What 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 was that like going into that? Well, because I'd been around death before and I'd laid out bodies before in the jobs that I'd had, it wasn't it wasn't something that scared me. What I can tell you is I'm terrified of ghost movies. And abs- <laughs> I am. I'm absolutely terrified Same, yeah, of them. I Anything am. poltergeisty, yeah. not a chance. No. <laughs> um, so really the preconceived ideas is it's a very scary place to be within a funeral home. Which especially. I must say to you at this point, I was. Yeah. So I worked next door to yeah. you. Um, obviously, we sold houses and I... I never forget a story that I have, which is the lady that owned it, unfortunately passed away, lovely, lovely lady. Uh, one day, because at the front of where you worked, it had like, was it like a waiting room at the very yeah. front? Yeah. yeah. So one day she knocked on my door at about half nine and she says, John, could you could you come in? There's there's a bird in the waiting room. And it had flown down through the chimney somehow. So I went into the waiting room and I was like, I'm not going to see anything, am I? Because I was always a little bit, my granny used to call me wicked when she was alive, but I don't think I was. I just, I think because when you're a kid and you start watching ghost movies, you think that's what it's like. And it almost, to an extent, it's the fear of the unknown. I know. So when you, when you don't, like you say, you lay bodies out before, I haven't. When you're seeing dead bodies, I've only seen one. So I don't have that exposure and understanding of it. So for me, it's a bit different. So, and I love birds, by the way. So I, I sort of thought, let's get a box. So I got a box. Went in the waiting room and I got rid of this bird. Like I said, that was about half nine in the morning. Got on with my job, started making phone calls, speaking to people. Two o'clock comes, the lady's there again. She says, I'm really, really sorry, John, but one of the uh, crows or ravens, whatever it was, has now got into the cellar. Oh, you're joking. And I went, <laughs> I'm not going to see anything in the cellar, am I? She said, no, no, I'll move everything out of the way for you. I was like, okay. And honestly, I was bricking it. I was thinking, what am I going to see? Because yeah. again, with horror films, <laughs> the it's madness always... just yeah. starts to go then. So I got the same box that I'd got this other bird and released that with. And I went down into the cellar. And i never forget the way she looked at me and she started laughing. And she said, you know, I've done this job for years, John. You'll never see anything. And I said, oh, okay then. And then that was it. But yeah, I think everyone does have different experiences when they haven't dealt with death like that before like you did with your mum and your dad and in the care that you did for people and laid them out and dressed them and stuff when you haven't done that I think it can be quite um a scary place for some people when they haven't dealt with it before definitely so. and and if if your only experience of uh, what a funeral home is like or what you're likely to expect is by what you watch on tv how do you determine that actually it's just a home it's just a place mm. um that is not scary you know when i've I, I've had people asking me in the past when I when I worked there, you know, how could you work in so? I mean, are you a bit deluded working in such a scary place? Well, how did that check it out? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, you've got to have some sort of screw loose or, mm. or something to work. Have you got a you know a mortal? 
fascination. Mm. It's never any of them. Like I've said to you, it was about nursing Care. for me. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know myself when I was given my first office, which was the one next to you. I thought I'd be, my first thought would be it would be dark. Mm. They told me it had cellars and I was a bit terrified of that. Because yeah. cellars are a bad thing, aren't they, on the <laughs> horror movies? Yeah, don't go in a cellar. Uh, was it going to be like, <laughs> bodies down there I didn't I I had my own apprehensions yeah Yeah. totally yeah um but actually when I got in there I turned on every light which was one of my first (laughs) days it was I made myself aware of every shadow Mm. where it came from with no I didn't no um but (laughs) I did check out every corner of every room to see what was down I went in the cellar I checked out what was in the cellar um i checked out quick exits in case uh, i was too scared <laughs> by ghosts which was it was like the fire exit which was someone was, with you though on that first day? yeah so yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, lady yeah, you yeah, were just yeah, talking yeah, about was yeah. with me and yeah. she was with me for the first week yeah and she just talked me through the things like when you answer the telephone what you say mm. who was likely to come in who was mm. in the chapel at the moment yeah um just general questions like that that went through my first week. And then when I got my keys and I opened up for the first time, it was quite a day. Responsibility of looking after someone who's passed away, the families that were going to come in. Mm. I was frightened in case they would ask me questions I I didn't have the answers to. I mean, I guess with any job working in the estate agency or whatever you do, you're going to get questions oh, when yeah. you're new, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, you only yeah. learn by, yeah. by saying the wrong thing or whatever. Yeah. Oh, God, what if I say, what if the dog died? And I say hot dog or something. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. and you tend to get Tourette's over things that you shouldn't be able to yeah, say. Yeah, you yeah. Know. You try so hard not to say it that you end up saying it. Yeah, yeah. Truly. Yeah. So what are all the um, words that you can't say when somebody's passed away and... Um, Mm. I found out along the way, bits and pieces. Yeah. But generally, I think if you wouldn't want it said to yourself, then you don't say, say it. it to the people. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, what talk us through sort of the the process of what would happen then? Say, for example, once a person passes away, what then would would happen, and what what was the procedure? Okay, so a first call would that we would call it a first call, and we would have a little um, list, a document that would go through quite layman's, quite easy things that anyone, because we know that people are suffering and that that hurt when you're asking. You don't want to be thrown lots of questions that you just don't feel in a headspace to answer. Yeah. So we would ask on a first call, if you were calling say, look, mum's just passed mm-hmm. away. Yeah. I would ask mum's name, how mm. old she is, um, <clears throat> where she lives, um, yeah. just lots of different questions that are just simple and easy, a contact telephone number. Yeah. And that would be it. So what I would say at the end of that is um, – I will get the funeral director. I will pass over all these details now to our funeral director yeah. and he will give you a call and come out and see you. You don't need to repeat anything you've told me today. Yeah. So because that... So you make it nice and easy for them. Yeah. 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 I've got everything that he w- would need to know and from there on it will just be a general chat. I was lucky enough to have the most wonderful funeral director who was part of the family um, and... I just found him to be, he worked in unison with me and we ended up really working very, very well together because he was so, so respectful. Um, He wouldn't let any of um, the deceased come to me if he'd not checked them first within our mortuary, uh, made sure that every hair was in place, every 
look like the photos we were given. So by the time they would come to me, they would look fantastic. And if they didn't, I had a um, artist set of, I had all the uh, hair rollers, straighteners, makeup, nail varnish. So I would do the beautification because sometimes the final touches need to be done by a woman. (laughs) (laughs) So these these the people that had passed away would go through two checks then to make sure it looked totally okay. two checks yeah. yeah and when you said about the mortuary <laughs> so the mortuary obviously wasn't part of the building that you no. were in so most places do have what well, my shop was quite small and um no i guess it could have been in the cellar had we have wanted one but that's too cliche isn't it horror yeah, film? yeah 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 no. so they come from somewhere else yeah. Yeah. go through the embalming process and then would then come to you. Yeah, so I can tell you a little bit because what I did ask to do was to go and spend a week with the embalmer. Yeah. And I wanted to do that because families ask what happens and why do you be embalmed? What? Why do you do that? And I couldn't tell them without witnessing yeah. what it yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. So spending the week with the embalmer, I found out lots of things I did not know and probably things that people would love to know but mm. too scared to ask. Yeah. So the first thing that really quite shocked me watching an embalming, the first thing that's done is they are fully washed, so a yeah. lovely wash with lovely lovely uh, shower gels, hair washed, um, and then they brought out this really big tool. It looked like a sword, but it was a giant type needle right. uh, like it looked like Excalibur and right. I was told that that thing was called a trocar right and a trocar is a massive suction needle and if you do you want me to go into detail I don't want to upset anybody <clears throat> now yeah. by, by yeah. this but no, trocar is something that is pushed a bit like liposuction if you, right, you okay. know how yeah, they yeah. suck out the fat it's used for things like um it's a little incision is put into the lower abdomen and the trocar is pushed in. Yeah. So it sucks out fluids or any uh, fecal matter within the bowel. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and then it's replaced by, there's a little um, cut made at the neck into the carotid artery. Mm-hmm. And um, the embalming fluid is, is put in. And the reason why embalming happens is because blood goes off very right. quickly. Is that when it can sometimes look a bit discoloured? That that is it. Yeah, the the blood within the system is the first thing that makes the decomposition and the smells uh, that you would associate with death. So the um, embalming fluid flushes it through, and and replaces any blood or any fluids with this. And there's different colours, like I say, so you can change the colour of somebody's appearance. And the most beautiful thing that I witnessed was seeing the, th- this very white, blue um, deceased person and watching the fluid fill up the veins. So you can actually watch it you as it happens? You can watch it as wow. it happens. It is the, it's, it's intense to watch. Wow. Um, watching it fill up the veins and the hand coming back to pink or or a lovely peach colour, and it, you could witness it go all through the body, the face, wow. unbelievable. And the embalming fluid, even as we pass away, um, like our eyes start to sink back a little bit because you've not got the blood flowing. Yeah, yeah. So watching the eyes start to come forward again, wow. it's the, the strangest thing to watch. And with the person doing the embalming, they said had different colours. Is it different colours depending on... The state of the person? No, the skin type. So if you're Asian, there's a different, you know, there's different colours. 
Um, yeah, so dark skin, very light skin. Um, yeah. So you would use one that would complement yeah, uh, yeah. the person by a photo, and you would always look at a photo to see what uh, what that person looked like. So the family would always give you a photo. Yeah, we would ask for a photo. Is that as they're literally collecting the body or anything, or is that no? Or laser so, date or? so once once the person. We need to explain a little bit from that first call, don't we, really, if you want to go back. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. yeah, so when the funeral director has been out to see the family, yeah, he would say to them, could you possibly take in any clothes, any photos, anything that you want to put in the coffin and bring it into to me, Vicky, yeah. um, at the office, and I would write them a little receipt for that. Yeah. So once I have that, I would then call over to where this person is um, at our mortuary and say, I've got the clothes, I've got the photo, will you come and collect it? And then they would work from there. Mm. So you'd always go off sort of doing the embalming process, the makeup process, to try and, I guess, make that person look as close to what they looked in real life. There will always possible. be families that look at the person um, differently and go, that doesn't look like them anymore. Yeah. But I would say 95% we got right. Mm. 95, there's always going to be some. And and you do look differently in death. You yeah. know, you do. Yeah. You, it's a very still, there's a stillness to it. Yeah. And you can't fake, you can't no. recreate a life. You could sometimes. do so much, can't you? Yeah. Only do so much, yeah. 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 But I think most families that came in, because I would totter around and do nails and stuff, would yeah. see that they've been cared for. And I think that's yeah. most important out of everything. Even if they don't look like their loved one, that yeah. person has had the hair done in rollers. They've had their nails done. They've had a shave if they're a man. Yeah. You know, all those tiny little things are important. And I think that goes a long way Yeah. with the respect. So then from, from that process, from the embalming, then are they then brought to you? So I would be called yeah. when they were ready to come to me, I would be called and they'd be brought down. We have a private ambulance, so you wouldn't know um, yeah. for, for people on the roads. It was not an ambulance, it's not a hearse. They come to me. In I remember a, it was totally unmarked and just totally looked like a normal vehicle. As it should be because yeah. um, it's, it's a discreet thing to do. Yeah. So they would be brought to me and I would have access uh, down a little rampway at the back of my office straight through to the chapel. And I would help um, put them onto what we call a bearer. Okay. So the bearer is the what you will generally see on TV, which is what the coffin stands on, and it has wheels. The wheels, the metal yeah. frame. Yeah, yeah metal yeah, frame. Yeah. It's usually covered by red velvet right. or something like that, and yeah. that bearer. Uh, so we would wheel in on the bearer, and there they will stay within the chapel for the remains of their stay, so they don't go anywhere except that, that room. And how how long would they stay there or would it depend on when the funeral was booked in for how many members of the family wanted to see them was it based on those kinds of things as yeah, well yeah right. so once we've got joe i'm calling him joe now once joe is in my chapel yeah and i'm he's all set up i will call the family and say uh, joe is with me now he's in my care if you want to come over and see him you're very welcome to um and we'd like it if you can get all of your family if they all want to come it might be better sooner rather than later because as each day goes past yeah small areas change yeah. and maybe by a week 
you start to see li little discolorations on the skin and yeah. obviously only makeup can cover so much and yeah. you don't want them looking like a wax doll that you know yeah yeah, yeah. you want the nat naturalness so we would yeah. say yeah so i've had um deceased people with me for two weeks wow. and 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 no changing them just amazing yeah. because of the embalming process yeah. um but you could never tell whether they would start to um, degenerate quite yeah. quickly within a week and we would ask the family to come sooner rather than later. Yeah. I never forget um, a time because, as I say, you used to work in the next office to you. I'm not sure if it was when you worked there or before you worked there, but I never forget there was a time when, when there was a body in there and I think I was told by the gentleman uh, it was um, a bad body that they found in a canal. And... That day, it was really bizarre because I used to work in this office on my own like you did. So I was on my office on my own. As you remember, I used to sing and stuff and shout loud through the walls. I loved that. You, could you hear kept me. me. And I think the people who were in my chapel loved your singing as well. And I'm talking well, about the people who were sleeping. Well, to be honest, that was another story. So I never forget, it was about half four one night and I was singing, Young Girl, Get Out of My Life. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the phone rang and it was a gentleman in the next building to where you worked. So I think it was before you worked there. And he said, I'm really sorry, mate. I've got a funeral and I've got someone viewing a body and they can hear you singing. Could you just not sing? And I Aww. felt so bad. I was like, oh, my God. Because my singing wasn't the best anyway. And obviously... I think I'd disagree with that. I mean, that voice kept me company. <laughs> it really kept me company for many years. I don't think I ever realised and appreciated how how thin them walls were. You know, I don't understand because I've got Did a very loud voice. Did you ever hear crying from no. the No. Do you know what? weirdly enough no and i think where i used to sit in my desk that part of the wall i'm pretty sure in fact i know was the other side of the chapel yeah and i wouldn't hear anything the only thing i would ever hear from there would be the sound of the coffin being nailed shut okay that's the only thing i would hear i wouldn't hear anything else really it was wow. very very quiet but going back to this one time, I I saw a blue bottle, and I used to drink a lot of coffee years ago, and I don't anymore. It's a long story why I don't, but I don't. It gives me migraines. But anyway, and this blue bottle flew into the front window, and I saw it, as I was on the phone to someone, fly directly from the window into my brew. It didn't. Yeah, it was the strangest thing I've ever experienced <laughs> with a fly in the brew, right? I, I promise you, it was. So I went back into the kitchen, after I sp sp spoke to this person, finished a conversation, went back into the kitchen, and I threw the brew away, threw the fly in the bin, and then I made a new brew, sat down, no word of a lie. Please don't say it went again. No word of a lie. Another blue bottle came, and it flew directly into the next brew. So I didn't make another brew for the rest of that day. Oh, it's I didn't like think final, it was have weird. you seen the film Final Destination? It might be like yeah. a sign that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know why. What a waste of two brews. Yeah. But I do remember, like, at my grand's funeral at Old Tringham Creme, I do remember as they were doing the funeral service and your mind starts to wander and stuff and you look out the window or whatever, and a fly landed on the pew in front of me. And it just landed. And it sounds really weird to say this, but it was looking at me. And I always then associated <laughs> spirits with flies. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, I don't know. Do you yeah. say hello to them now? No, no. I mean, no, maybe no. you should because no. maybe they're just waiting for some acknowledgement. Yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. I mean, 
Yeah, it just was something that just happened. I spoke to the guy, he told me about that that story and the body that he had, and I just thought it was with that because it's never happened since and never happened before. But I just thought there was something really odd about a fly directly coming, and I'm talking about say, well, there is really, isn't there? Yeah, fifteen foot away, not just flying around and yeah. landing your brew. I mean, kamikaze in, into your brew. It's I mean, fantastic that's story. Yeah. I'd love to know why. Why? I don't know. Sugar yeah. addict. Did you have sugar in your tea? Uh, no, I never had sugar in my ah. coffee, no. It just was, was, I don't know, interested in flying in my brew. Well, Craig O'Reilly. So, yeah, I don't know. But no. So, yeah, sort of going back to that then with families, I mean, I guess one of the questions that I probably have um, as I, like you, being an estate agent, you're dealing with people who've lost people, you're selling their estates, their houses, and really, you're dealing with them at probably the worst time in their life. And I did used to sometimes, it sounds really bizarre, this. I don't know if any other estate agents have done it. Let me know if you have. But I've gone into a house where someone's passed away. I don't know in the house. I don't know if they've passed away in the house. But they've passed away. The house is empty. Sometimes things are left the way they were the last time the person was yeah. in there, if that makes sense. Yeah. So the coat would be there. The shoes would be there. Maybe the cup from what they drank that morning. Yeah. yeah. And I, I would sort of almost just say, ah, oh, yeah, just here to do a viewing. And I wouldn't say more than that. Yeah. I'd just sort of say that because like you, and I can't explain why, but I would almost sometimes feel like there was a spirit or a presence or something it's in there. It's an energy, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, then I just wanted to let know, I'm all right, I'm not a threat to you, whatever. I'm just here to do viewings and that's it. Well, could you imagine, I mean, if I was to pass away today, someone walking into my home, which has, been, has every part of me in it, you've got to acknowledge a person, life, death, indifferent, you've got to acknowledge and have respect. Like you say, it's the same thing, walking into yeah. a person's house who's, who's passed away for you, you've got to do it delicately. Yeah. You know, some families may come in with a huge dump truck and empty the house with no care but yeah, there'll be others yeah. that will find it very difficult knowing that it had to get to that point of sale yeah so when yes yeah, so the question i've got really is did you have any families where there was anything like obviously you have families where they go in and see the the passed away person and do the normal sort of grieving stuff but was there any out of the ordinary sort of circumstances or situations or anything like that that you dealt with that you maybe found difficult you know yeah I, I I think there was a suicide of a very young lad so for me I always found very difficult any any person that came into me that was the same age as my grandchild my two kids um, anything around that age I found very difficult and when I say difficult it would just bring out the mum in me a bit more. So I yeah. would put music on. So to your question about circumstances, for those families that weren't expecting something um, like a hanging or, or um, an overdose, the amount of tears and sadness that came with those families would yeah. be greater than anything you could ever bear bear and with those people it would be for me endless chocolate biscuits endless hugs mm. if they want to stay from nine in the morning till four every single day then do that because you know mm. you can't stand in the way of grief and grief only ebbs away 
as you let it naturally you can't force people you know to rush their grief and we have had like you say the canal the the gentleman found in the canal we had um a gentleman found um behind a park bench who had just gone out with his lottery ticket we've had babies little children i was so terrified after um the Ariana Grande. Oh, the Manchester Evening News Arena bombing. Yeah. I was terrified that we were going to get, you know, some of those mm. um, unfortunate souls coming in. Um, I was prepared for it. We were lucky enough that we didn't. Yeah. Um, but the children, a lot of children, mm. I just, I find that so difficult. We've had, um, we had a, a very uh, important person come in and that, that was amazing. Yeah. So we had a, yeah, a, a pop icon. Oh, wow. In. Wow. Yeah, and um, maybe they heard me singing and thought I should have done a singing career. <laughs> well, what what I was asked by the family then is that they brought in his CD and I would play it through to him in the chapel oh, wow. and ask, "Am I boring you yet? Have you heard enough of your own music?" Wow. So if you have, I'll put some Mary Poppins on or something, whatever. Yeah, but, yeah. Wow. We've also, I think, the, the very saddest um, would be if we can go there. Right? You know. Yeah, yeah. Wherever you want, yeah. Yeah. is when babies are lost babies yeah because if you were to imagine the size we don't put babies in coffins okay we have little wicker uh baskets just like small a bit smaller than what you would have for a newborn baby and they are lined in in silk and to see a tiny baby that hasn't had a start to life that it should have done doesn't even know what life is no If I could have, I would have put it in my arms and just rocked it the whole day. But obviously, yeah. you can't touch, and I wouldn't touch. Um, but I found that very difficult for the for the families coming in. Yeah, their grief would be mm. hard to listen to because it, it felt a little bit voyeuristic because you couldn't get away from the noise sometimes. And if you've ever heard a mother who's lost a child, there's a certain noise. It's primal. Right. Um, and I can't get it. I can hear it all the time of one mother that came in to see her baby who'd not seen the baby since they'd released it from the hospital. Yeah. And it was the first time she got to see her baby properly was when, when they were with me. And the noise was unexplainable, mm. primal. And it's a guttural. It comes from the gut of a mother. How does that impact you, though? Or how did it impact well, you? Well, what I did, because I'm sure a lot of people wonder, how do you live with that kind of grief on yeah. a daily basis? And what do you do to actually switch off? And for me, I started painting. So, yeah. yeah so yeah. You are quite creative because yeah. if we can, we'll probably talk about it a bit at the end, but you do you did paintings, you uh, upscale furniture, you are very creative. And I guess... I don't really want to describe death like this, but death is sort of the end to an extent. And out of an end, you create a beginning. Does that make sense? Like you yeah. create something. Yeah. So what that. I would do is I would paint emotions. So I might see a, an old gentleman who's come in, whose wife is with me in the chapel, and he would just want to sit with me. And I know he doesn't want to go home to an empty house. Yeah. And he would tell me about his bowl of soup on the side <laughs> and an empty chair at his table. Yeah. And I would picture that as he was telling me and I would come home and immediately to, to I guess, 
get rid of that feeling i would mm. paint it so wow. i've painted pa paintings now that probably no one would ever buy yeah. because people would see it as depressing but for me it was being able to visualize that man's pain and put it on a piece of paper did um, you ever show anyone the painting yeah i had um i, I actually showed the gentleman um, wow. because he told me about his house he had pictures of him in the wall Oh, with wow. medals and things and he said it was next to his dining table and the painting that i did was his lonely bowl of soup with his <laughs> and and it was very personal to him yeah um and i did show him that and he, he said it was a resounding um a, a perfect example of what how he was feeling at, at the time and he, he said even in the eyes he could tell it was him wow. as in the the pain so yeah that was amazing have you always been into art by the way yeah just, oh, like, always yeah. always yeah. pot and anything i can make yeah and uh, uh, yeah I, I just love i love art i love art in any form whatsoever that's amazing though to be able to put an emotion and capture that moment and then show that person and then they can see that then in an art form because yeah. sometimes emotion with like depression and anxiety and, and a lot of other things, we can't see it. So to then put something into an art it's form, a feeling, isn't that, it? Yeah, that you can yeah. Then see. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, one of the most poignant um, stories I was told by one gentleman um, was he went to Blackpool. He'd been every year on the coach with his wife, and she'd passed away. And he went to Blackpool for the first time. He was eighty something years old, if I remember rightly. And he took his shoes off and rolled his little trousers up and he, he paddled paddling. in Blackpool wow. Sea. And he said he could see the tower and he held his he, he held his uh, stick, a hat, he had his shoes in his other hand and he just looked at the tower from where he was, imagining, remembering his time with his wife, wife yeah. in the sea. Wow. And I painted that. I painted wow. that picture and that sold immediately to somebody who understood. That, but not him? Not him. Wow, now, so someone else could see that. Someone in that else painting. could see that. Wow. Yeah. Did you so, show the painting to the guy or not? Um, no. No. Sometimes I don't get to see them. See the people they, again. Yeah, yeah like me. Yeah. When, when you sell houses or whatever, yeah. you don't really ever get to see no. them again. But you spend the long. I guess we probably spend a bit longer with them because the process with us is probably months, whereas sometimes with you it might be weeks. Um, but you do form quite good relationships. Some Most of them I've got definitely. on Facebook. I still talk to some of them. Uh, but yeah, you do you do become close to these people, and I think the problem with me always was was talking, hence the podcast. So I would spend a lot of time with people because some people, like you say, you like, might be the only voice they've spoken exactly. to for the day. And, and I think a lot of people don't understand that, and because I'm quite, I've got a, a large degree of empathy, and I've got a lot of time for people because sometimes people need more time than others, and sometimes people would ring you about a sale. But really, they're not ringing you about a sale. They're just ringing you just to speak to someone. Totally understand. So I would spend half an hour, 40 minutes And sometimes. like what you're doing right now, yeah. the topics that you're choosing to cover right mm. now may be the only place that somebody can hear the realities of certain topics. Yeah. You're giving a service there of love yeah. and empathy, aren't you, in what you're doing? Yeah, and some of the topics, you know, I mean, obviously we're talking about the death side of it now, but, you know, some of the topics I've got are quite hard-hitting. But it's not something I ever want to swerve. I always but want to try But they're the things and... that people want to know. Yeah. But then ask. Yeah. You've got to tackle it. It's happened. Yeah. It's reality. Death yeah. is reality. Domestic abuse is reality. Gambling is reality. And if we all speak about it, mostly men, because they don't do mm, that, do they? No, they're, no. Don't do I that. I think I'm an exception because I was raised by two women. 
and in my life I've always been surrounded by women yeah so I got my talking from my mum and I think I am a bit different like that I can talk and I can express things and I'm not bothered about what people think about what but I that's say. wonderful because yeah. that's 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 a peer group that somebody can look at as a man yeah. listening to it I, I think your podcasts are in a fantastic uh, I love the tone of them I really yeah. do I love the topics that you're going to be choosing yeah so thank you so yeah obviously the grief part of it because we think about funeral homes and we think about death and we think about all the things that happen after but then there is grief so I guess my next question would be for anyone listening out there going through grief because everyone goes through different yeah. grief I mean I remember when my grand died and I had an amazing boss and an amazing colleague that I worked with at the time and when I got the call to say she passed away um, she'd already passed away by the time I got home the and uh, paramedics were already there and stuff and then whatever follows that police and then private ambulance and stuff and then going over to have an autopsy done and I remember that day my boss was actually away in Spain at the time and I remember sort of my way of dealing with things normally is comedy and then the second thing what I realized about myself is basically throwing myself into work being busy not yeah. letting things catch yeah, me yeah. I don't think you can ever avoid grief and I think I felt a big sense of um, duty for my mum because there's only me and my mum and my grand. We had a very small family and I wanted to, when my grand died, I, I spent about two hours with her. I thanked her for everything in my life she'd ever done. I held her hand. Um, she'd just passed away literally about half an hour, 45 minutes before I got there. So I had that time with her. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to help my mum when she went to see her in the funeral home um as well although I didn't know what to expect um and did you feel like you needed to be the strong one for yeah your mom? yeah yeah and I didn't I don't think I ever let myself grieve so I went back to work the next day after oh. she died I didn't ever take time off um I was working when the funeral director came around to talk about the funeral arrangements and everything, and I just worked. And I said, there's some songs, and we sort of picked some songs to play and stuff, and I picked the clothes out for her. And even I came back at the end of the sort of, I don't know if you call it a meeting or whatever when, when he was there, but at the end of it, I just thought, you know, she'd kill me if I didn't put dentures in. So I ran upstairs, got a dentures out of like a blue oh, bless, box, yeah. and I said, put a dentures in. Um... And, you know, just sort of like I say with humour, I said, is she behaving herself? She's not run away or out yet, is she? You know, just making light of it. Um, but really, like, my grand was like my dad. She was like a parent to me, so it was like a really big loss. When people say grandparents, some are closer to grandparents. Yeah. But for me being raised by my mum and gran, my gran taught me how to do the alphabet, tie my shoes. From a very young age, you know, I was always sort of with my gran, helping her out and stuff. So, yeah, and I didn't take time off. I at the funeral I spoke because this is another thing I wanted to talk about actually as well was like with with funerals I just been to my uncle's last week in Wales and the guy that was from the funeral directors he spoke so he said a few poems and he said a few stories and it actually felt like he knew him even though he didn't it was yeah. amazing and I had to even ask a woman at the end like did he know him she said no he was just a funeral director I was like, wow but I wanted to speak <clears throat> about stories about my gran not from somebody else I wanted to speak from me yeah and all week or the two weeks leading up to the funeral I'd write stuff down I'd rehearse it and honestly when I got there I didn't even bother reading from the sheet 
I just spoke off the cuff and I just said stuff. Which is what you were blessed with. It is your talent, isn't it? I think so. I think talking is always something I've been very good at. Did you find that when you did that, did you feel quite humbled by the experience of being able Mm. to honour, perhaps? I think it was a very weird thing. Um, I won't mention his name, but I used to work on on a Sunday at the place I worked at. And that day, we were going to see my gran. So I was finishing work, say, 3 o'clock, and 4 o'clock was when the appointment was. I didn't really want to go and see my gran because I felt I'd spent three hours with her, and that was enough for me, if that makes sense. But because my mum wanted to go, I didn't want to leave on her own, so I went with my mum. And this guy, his mum was a famous medium from Salford in the 80s, and he still lives in Erpston now. I say I won't mention his name. And he came in with his wife, and he always used to walk the dog past my office every Sunday. <clears throat> you worked Sundays? Yeah. Oh, what a legend. And this is when it was. This was on a Sunday. Let's <laughs> go see my gran. So every Sunday, they'd walk past, they'd wave to me, and that's it. This particular Sunday, going to see my gran, they came in. Oh. And he sat down in front of me, and we used to have two TVs behind the desks with, like, Sky Sports News or Sky News on. And you become a little bit forgetful of that, so you just do your job on the phone talking to people. Yeah. And he sat on the right-hand side of me, looking over my left shoulder. And he was sat there for a good two minutes, and his wife was asking me, how are you, John? How's things? And then, obviously, I said, my grand has passed away. And he said, that's what it is. It's like I can see this really big light over your shoulder, and it's your grand. Now, we can all think about sidekicks and mediums and that side and think they talk a load of baloney, it's not true, and I think everyone will have their own opinion on this. However, for me personally... This was my experience of it. So he said to me, you're going to go and see her today, aren't you? And I said, yeah. He said, you've got two roses, haven't you? Now, my mum had gone to the oh, shop wow. on a Saturday and bought two roses to put in the coffin. I said, yes, I've got two roses. He said, she wants a third rose. I said, where can I get a rose from at 2 o'clock on a Sunday to put in the coffin at 4 o'clock? Being honest with you, that day, <laughs> I, was, I was Googling what a dead body looked like. Yeah. So I got on a lot of American sites and... I saw coffins, and I'll be dead honest with you, I was always a bit scared of it. Yeah. I didn't know. I was very apprehensive. I, of course, I knew it was my gran. So he then said to me, strangely enough, he said, he was telling me about being a kid. So every year he used to get a Christmas hamper at Christmas, off like whatever it was, the milkman or whatever yeah. then days it was. And I'd always get into the bottom of the hamper and take stuff out. And I'd eat it and then put it back you in. You wouldn't, yeah, you yeah. got her. Yeah, so my mum and gran would go, oh, do you fancy some hot dogs? You, no, you I'd never. I'd take it out of it <laughs> and I'd, I'd eat the hot dogs and put the lid back on as if no one had been in it because I did eat a lot. And basically, he told me that. And he said, she's telling me all this. Now, think what you think, yeah. but how would he know that? Yes, I've told him that my gran is dead. Of course, he'd know that and he could say there's a light, but how would he know the rest of it? He then said to me, the funeral's tomorrow and you're going to talk, aren't you? I said, yes. He said, you're also very apprehensive about seeing the body. I said, yes. He said, can I just tell you something that will help you? I said, yeah, sure. He said, that's a shell. He said, she's not there. Yeah. He said, she's with you right now. And he said, she'll be with you tomorrow. Oh. So when I went to the funeral, it's a, obviously a funeral is a very, very sad thing. And I'll get back to the original point I was talking about before with grief and stuff and you can't get away from it. But the, the funeral, the day of the funeral, I can't honestly remember if I cried because of that belief, if she was with me and she wasn't in the say, in the, box, coffin, the box, yeah, what people usually say, it helped me. Yeah. So when I got on that pulpit, I think they're called, where you're talking, yeah. the 
church. She was with me. She wasn't in the box. She was with me. So it helped me a lot. And I think going back to my original point, I didn't take time off. And I think it was a good three or four months after. And like I said, I had a really good boss and a really good friend. And I hadn't really grieved. And one day my boss pulled me into his office in the morning. We had a morning meeting. And after the morning meeting, he said, John, just come here a minute. He said, your friend's a bit worried about you. And it's lovely lad. And, and I, you know, and I can't thank him enough for this. But he said, you're making a few mistakes in work and stuff. Is everything all right? And I just, from nowhere, it just burst out laughing. Out. Oh, it laugh- came out. Wow. No, no laughing, crying. Yeah. Just came out. It just literally released. And I must have then entered a period of mourning because I hadn't gone through it. I'd been working six days a week um, from my choice. I'd work from nine in the morning till seven, eight at night just to get away from it. I didn't. You can't ever run from exactly, it. Exactly, you can't. No. And that's what I learned. And from that, he said to me, take the next week off. Don't come in. Just do your own thing. Spend time with your mum. Just do your own thing. You need time. And I don't think there's many employers that would have done that. No. But I needed it. It's human. Mm. It's humane. It's the thing that we should all be like. Grief. There's no running from it. Mm. There is no... For some people, they'll have witnessed maybe um, a loved one with cancer and and actually just feel relief at the end, but then may come in guilt that they felt relief at the end. So there's a myriad of experiences that people grieve from. And even if at the time you're in a haze, you just feel closed off that it's not real, at some point you may be just sat there with your cup of tea, just mm. about to watch this morning, and the floodgates open, hit, yeah. Yeah. just hit you. And people do grieve in different ways. Don't oh, they? yeah. But I grieve think... you must. You know, it may be you know that you you feel at peace Mm. but there'll still be certain things that you'll see on tv or people who wear the same kind of clothes as that person there'll always be a reminder you can't bury somebody and never again have to think of that person because every day certain things smells triggers a memory i became close to a lady that i dealt with and she was a an older lady really really lovely lady i still speak to her now actually and she reminded me of my gran. I used to say to my mum about my gran, I used to say, I'm seeing such and such, and I spoke to her. She said, is she the one that reminds you of your gran? But, yeah, it just, just I think when you go through it, and the grief aspect for me, and I said, going back to the question I wanted to ask, was you deal with them, the families, the deceased, then the funeral happens. Is there any sort of numbers or places that anyone can get help with? So, yeah, I mean, you can get all the leaflets that, that are at the offices. You'd be able to go up, well, the funeral director, if it's a good one, will go on and Google anything they think you may need. That can be that, you, you know, just lonely, whether you need help with benefits, widow's allowances, there's all sorts. I mean, so really, you can go in there a little bit like a citizen's advice bureau. The person who's within the office should know what you might need and be able to offer that to you you would have to do the work thereafter yeah but the the numbers would be given to you because if you're thinking some of the um older people they don't not very you know savvy on the computers to find these things and maybe they work from pen and paper and i think it's a duty of ours to actually get the pen and paper and write that down for them because it's one less thing to have to try and compute yeah yeah did you ever find 
there was um, any attachments with you once a person's loved one had died? Did anyone ever ring you back up again or come and see you or anything? Lucky enough, um, you only see people repeated to the minimal amount because there's a lot of... There was one family that I've seen maybe five different times and they know I was there. They became like family and they would come in even when we didn't have anyone in the chapel and come and have a cup of tea and a biscuit. And those are the people that they would feel like it was family coming into the office. And I felt like I knew them enough to Mm. go, oh, yeah, I remember when such and such. And a lot of them will tell me a lot of stories about the individuals that that I'm, I'm taking care of or was taking care of. And I would actually feel like I knew them, like you were saying mm. earlier about, you know, did that funeral director know, know that person? You should take an interest. It yeah. shouldn't be a job. Yeah. And it should be totally um, around that person, structured to them. Everybody's unique, aren't they? Yeah. They are. And this is what I love now because many, many years ago, it used to be religious ceremonies a lot. Yeah. So a lot of people who weren't religious, they would have crosses on the caskets and they would mm. have, you know, prayers. And, and people would turn off during the, you know, the funeral because it wasn't about the life. Yeah, that and, person. Yeah, yeah. And so since then, we've, you know, celebrants were born yeah. and um, a humanist which can do poems and and laughter and cheers. And I love that aspect of it because now we truly are creating something which is absolutely for that person and their life. The celebrant is a celebration and that's what I believe a funeral should be. And that is a lovely thing now because you have now more choices about death, whether that is even just a a straight to cremation, uh, you know. So there are all those sorts of things. But what I hope that people won't do is there is a lot of pressure on giving the best coffin Mm. so many limos all of the added extras that you know shouldn't really be put on the toes of people and they weren't at our our house our house i say as a house because it was a home for (laughs) me you know we welcome people in yeah yeah but i don't think people i just want to say to the people who may be listening if they're you know dealing with something around death do not feel pressured into having the most expensive of anything. If you want to just do the basic of everything, their loved one, it's the, it's your love, it's the memories. Yeah. They're the most important. You cannot buy um, anything with the amount of money you're going to put into a funeral. So just don't do it. I'm yeah. telling you, don't do it. There's so many people that thought it showed their proof of love by getting the golden casket and the gold. Yeah. It, it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't. It's, it's I think no, we can all do that in life when we're alive, can't we? Yeah, I mean, to me, put me in a cardboard coffin, <laughs> honestly, because I, I am different now, you know, from seeing all of that and seeing the expense. You know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah. matter to me. Put mm. me in, as long as I've got my pyjamas on, I've got a fleecy <laughs> blanket because I hate being cold, like probably 100% of females. Yeah. That is what I want. And my family know this now because my daughter works at one of the branches too. Right. And so she's very well aware. Yeah. And it does open up conversations that are a bit taboo, doesn't it? You know. Yeah. What would be the most unusual request you've ever had at a funeral? Most oh gosh. Just to put you on the spot a bit. <laughs> well, there are many, but I can't think of anything that, that warrants talking about really maybe it was 
burying this you know remember that i said about the pop starry thing yes. yeah, yeah it was burying something that was of immense importance in the coffin with them yeah and i think that was the strangest request that they wanted it screwed the lid screwed down with that object inside yeah. the coffin because yeah. i was like what that's an heirloom that's something <laughs> you can't dig back up once it's gone, it's gone. yeah um but the, all sorts of things have been put in there was um I think about a ton of jelly babies put in one person's oh, wow. coffin. We've had uh, ice cream bells put in, in you know, wow. if it was an ice cream yeah. man. Also, you would not believe the sorts of things that go into coffins, but I this love it. It's very personalised for that so person. Personal. Isn't it? Yeah. The, 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 the saddest thing, I mean, is when a child is coming to a parent, a young yeah. parent that's passed away. And what I always tended to do there was I remember very uh, a lad who was about 11, and he thought we'd shrunk his dad. I told him what he was going to expect when we went into the chapel, that his dad would be facing him, that he wouldn't be able to talk back. And he knew all this. He was 11, but I just thought I would just wow. make it so clear to him. Yeah. And when he went in, the first thing he said was, you've shrank me dad. <laughs> you've shrank him. My dad was six foot two, and now he looks like he's four foot. So we, I actually got the measuring tape out and let him measure his dad. Yeah. And just simple things like that. Yeah. He realised... His dad just looked smaller. So the lad was 11. 11 years old, away. yeah. But oh, we, we wow. measured him. He wanted, um, I think he had a city top on, and yeah. he didn't want anything covering the city. The, the, the little boy asked so many questions that adults would ask. Wow. And At 11. 11. Wow. And when he came out, he sat and he cried a little bit. And we have uh, teddies. We have memory teddies. Okay. Had. Yeah. yeah. So they would have a little pot in the back that once the person has been, cremated yeah yeah they could have the ashes in the teddy and keep it with them always oh, so wow. there's lots of I didn't even know you did yeah that. Wow, okay. yeah lots of different things like that so you'll see a lot of jewelry is coming onto the market now with ashes and even tattoos right that you can have the ashes but you can get ashes tattooed you certainly into can oh, yeah wow didn't even know that yeah so there's lots wow. of things to do with ashes now um but for children like i was just saying then answer the questions that the children because the parents might say don't ask that or yeah don't yeah say that. yeah Ask those questions yeah. because it's a chance there to get rid of taboos and ask and say to children, you can ask this. Yes, your dad's got his shoes on because they still fit him. Or yeah. yes, your dad, he won't be able to talk to you now, but he, he will, will be listening. Mm. I love that aspect of it because children then, their first experience, it wasn't scary. They didn't get fobbed yeah, off. They yeah, weren't told yeah. to shush. Yeah. Like yeah. maybe you went through yeah, when you were probably, that. Yeah, probably. Probably. A lot of that probably stems to that, doesn't it? Yeah, um, it does. I mean, just quickly about, you know, taking home, um, you know, grief. What I haven't touched on is I, my sister-in-law, she's totally into everything spiritual yeah. and, and stones and, and copper wire. And I don't understand a lot of it, but she yeah. did say to me, do you sage your house when you come home? Because you might be bringing home negative energies with you if you're around it all day. And I said to her, I don't need to do that because what I I never take a bad energy home and I mm, never feel negative mm. because the way I treat people when I'm yeah, there, because I always yeah. say hello, goodbye, yeah. read a newspaper, put a song on. I don't feel like any negativity would travel home with me because I haven't deserved that type of, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I so that. I always used to come home feeling clear of anything because my conscience is clear that that person has, has had a good day. Yeah. yeah as good yeah. as they could have. Could have had, yeah. Yeah. Lovely. Well, we'll move on to listening to questions, but I'm sure, like myself, with this conversation, I've been fascinated with it. It's been amazing to Thank you. speak to you, even though I've known you for years. 
it's different to do this with you because we talk about things that we never did back then. That's right. When we used to see each other, it was, hi, you all right? Yeah, Are we bye. having McDonald's today or something? Yeah, well, yeah remember, we got McDonald's yeah, that time, did, remember? <laughs> yeah, we did, did one. <laughs> and when you left, I was absolutely gutted because there's no way I was going to get a McDonald's yeah. anymore. Well, I think we had Subway at some point anyway. Yeah, anyway. but no. But yeah, these are the things that we don't talk about. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you. We'll move on to listener questions. Okay, then. So, listener questions. I think a couple have probably already been spoken about, but we'll probably go over anyway, and if you don't mind, just quickly going over them. So, the first one is, how do you mentally cope with being surrounded by death at work all day when you get the job? Yeah, so the be-all and end-all of that one is I'd never took home any kind of stress or sadness because of the way that I feel like I treated the deceased person during the day. So as long as I'm respectful and loving and kind and say goodbye and good morning, when I lock the door at night, nothing, no kind of bad energy followed me. And and if it, if I did feel a bit sad about something particularly, I would paint it. Yeah, which is incredible. Has working in a funeral director's changed your own beliefs in what happens after death? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I never understood about energies before working at the funeral director. I was always open, a little bit sceptical of maybe things like that. But what it has told me is death is not as scary as we all believe. There are some magical stories that have come from from the people that I've been, no matter how sad they've been. I have listened to stories about people who climbed Everest. Mm. It is a, you know, we're here to celebrate. Our life is just a celebration, isn't it? Just pack it full of all the things that you want to do and do them now while you can. Yeah. What was the one thing that surprised you the most you only found out after you started to work at funeral directors? That would be the embalming process I didn't understand how in-depth it was and seeing it with my own eyes it was the most chilling but amazing experience because you know could you imagine having a scalpel and actually cutting somebody's skin just that very thought (laughs) no I'm saying that very thought just that minuscule thing but then thereafter all the other things that go along with embalming that surprised me the length that they go to to preserve the body it's amazing amazing uh, another one is is there a certain type of death that was harder for you to deal with for example a child or somebody who died of cancer than other ones yeah so i think we touched on it earlier i found it very difficult in the 26 27 30 range because they're my children's ages yeah and i would always think if my children were going through hard times that could be my child in that mm. casket you know that would be I would shed a tear then because we are human. Mm. It's not just just because you work within the funeral directors. It doesn't mean that you're not professional if something touches you. Yeah. That is what makes you good for that job. Empathy is the biggest. If out of everything, empathy, you've got that in buckets. That's where you should be. Yeah. Share it. And the other one, I think, again, you talked about this at the beginning, but what was it that got you into interested in working for the funeral directors in the first place i think you so it was it was knocking that old lady down on me on my denim bike and being responsible for her till she passed away yeah um well yeah like i said before fantastic now what you do these days since working there is you now do you still do painting i do i do painting but what i've moved into now is because i have to 
it must be some form of like an autistic trait. I look, I have to be doing something. Yeah. And painting, yes, I found now a love of like finding old vintage furniture and a part of it, it all runs together. I don't like things being thrown away. I don't like comments being thrown away. I don't like people's lives being thrown away. Yeah. And I don't like to hoard neither. But what I have found is I get a lot of love out of saving things that people are going to throw on the tip. Mm. And I turn it into something that someone would have in the house now. And I get a lot of love out of that. And listening to podcasts while I do it, you're yeah. always learning something. Yeah. And I think some of the things I've seen you do, when we say about upscaling furniture, it's not a basic upscale of furniture. I've seen you do some incredible Thank and creative you. things. I saw one yesterday where you'd done like a bowling pin. Oh, and you yeah. turned it into a lamp. Yeah. I mean, is it with being so creative, is it just something that sort of comes to you or you're a inspired by something? A lot of it is fear of losing memories from the 70s when I was a right. child. So I remember there'll, there'll be certain things that I see that I'll remember, like an old mangle or, or something, and I want it because I always think if you can keep it, instead of it being a memory it's something that can move forward with us yeah i'll try and repurpose it into something that someone would have in the house so yeah. that is my 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 one woman mission now is to save anything that's broken wooden and make it into something special for somebody yeah so because they they all you know if you think they've lasted maybe from the 1950s mm. some of the stuff i've had 1800 pieces before now wow. they've lasted that long please just put a bit of paint on them or just do something extra special with it and keep it because yeah. ikea furniture all well and good nice but it doesn't last not built to last not no. built to last no do you do you also do if someone had a piece of furniture at home do you also upscale I that for them as well do. that's right. a most that's what i tend to do right. because there's only so much space for all my hoard and my husband would tell you now if you were sat here he's i mean have you even looked in my hall even before you go it, it's I always tell my husband I'm a minimalist and he's told me I'm a liar. <laughs> I'm a liar because there is no space. I've not got furniture, yeah. but I'm in the process now of actually moving into a little shop. Right. Um, okay, well. in, yeah. The M33 Emporium. Wow. So there will be all of my stuff that I'm saving around the house. I have told my husband my hoarding will end because it will all be hoarded there. Or are you going to be a liar again? <laughs> I, I, well, God knows. God knows. Yeah, well, we'll put a link on there anyway so people Thank can you. see an example of your work. I will work. just tell you that it is Touchwood Designs and you can find it on Facebook only at the moment. I'm just saving me a question. I was going to ask you yeah. where people find you, so that's good. Yeah. I'll put a link on there as well then so people can find you. And once again, uh, thank you very much oh, for you're welcome, your time John. today, Vicky. It's been really nice. You're welcome. Thank, thank you. you. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. If you are struggling with grief at the minute or you know somebody that is, I have put the link in the description on the Spotify podcast of a charitable organisation that does help people get over different types of grief. So hopefully it can help you or the person that may be affected by grief. Thank you for your continued support. I couldn't do this podcast without you guys listening to it. So honestly, thank you so much. I have put a rating system on Spotify now, so you can let me know how much you like the podcast. Also, I've put some feedback on there as well. So at the end of the podcast, if you click down, it should give you a Q&A, which should say something like, what did you think about this podcast? And I would appreciate some feedback as well. And have a nice week and a nice weekend. And I'll catch you guys next time.